tune into the Don't Tap podcast. I'm about to beat the at this kid. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. To me, the Lions are the number one rankings out there. Those guys are the ones who really do their homework, you know what I mean? But this fight, I'm telling you, it's a flip of a coin. He did not tap. Let's um, go! Let's go! This is it is the early morning Sunday morning and Don't Tap Podcast is up early. I was up earlier. I know you were up at like crack of dawn doing some tape. I was up at about uh, four thirty. Um, woke up, trained, and did some tape as well too. So it's it's motherfucking game time, you know. And it's under five minutes, and I've already sworn, so I got to run a good Google on top of that. But um, UFC fight night, couple missteps, couple good solid plays. I really like that we were able to sniff out the dog in uh, Roman Kopalov. Kopalov comes out and does exactly what we said. Um, he he lets um, Punahale sort of throw his punches. He lands his jab. He was landing the leg kick. He started working the body and just precise with the strikes. Puts him out there. What do you see in that fight? Yeah, man, that's, it's, as you said, it's exact to a T, the way we would have called that fight. It reminds me a lot of the whole Stephen um, Thompson fight where a lot of people thought that Kevin Holland's kind of a radical style of striking would be able to do it. And there's certain things that don't stray away from, man. And if you have a solid background and you're technical, I am never going to back the guy who throws wild punches with a puncher's chance. So I don't like that. You've got a takedown. I wish I was on that line. Yeah, that's it, right? Like, he just completely outclassed him. I'm not a big fan of Soriano. He has gas tank issues that we see in pretty much every single fight. And if you're against a guy that's just technical like that, like the second he landed a spinning back kick and saw that he was injured, he started throwing combinations to the body, and it was just – he was methodical too, right? Like, it's not like he went in for the kill and put himself in a position to get clipped. He backed away and kind of, you know, regained his thoughts, and he was still able to get the finish. But he didn't put himself in harm's way to do it. So, one hundred percent, definitely a good pick, good dog. Plus one thirty four. Uh, next fight pick was Damon Jackson, and Damon Jackson. I know I was in the chat because I, I did the interview with him because I am a fan of him. Um, some of the the guys are on me about you know being being the fanboy and making the pick that way, and it really wasn't that initially. It was it was because of his his momentum. It was because of his wrestling, and if he ran a wrestling game plan and had worked that striking to get into a wrestling game plan. You know, he, I see him grinding out either decision and or late finish in a certain amount on a clip against him uh, regularly. But Ige did what he does. and He starts landing counter shots, putting on the pressure and landing big shots. And well, Damon Jackson actually was starting to find some success. He goes to throw that big uppercut, gets countered with a big left hook over the top. And bam, goes to sleep. And unfortunately, um, you know, Damon Jackson, a guy that, you know, we were backing in this. But, uh, you know, I'd still back him again. But the one mistake I think I made was because the line was so close, I don't know if it needed to be a podcast play. You know, it could have been a pick. You know, we backed the guy, but I don't know if it needed to be a podcast play. And I think uh, moving forward, I got to get a little sharper that way. But it is also perception when we interview somebody. There's that whole Homer concept right so i mean although we did back a lot of canadians last year um and interviewed interviewed them and backed them they did win a lot um but that being said we just got to watch make sure we're on point or at least i need to make sure i'm on point i um, think uh, also with that fight too though i think you've like watching that fight he got clipped in the first about a minute and got dropped and i don't think he fully ever recovered from it yeah. like you can see like he was circling the cage a lot and you know props to Ige, his pressure was just on point and he was able to just capitalize on it and never really give him a second to get back into that fight. 
And even after the first round, you could tell that he was still kind of not 100% in it. And I just think that was probably the big momentum swing where given if they both had a chance to kind of get themselves into the fight, it may have been a little bit closer, but. And as I said, yeah, we, we were on him, but uh, the reality is if, if the line is that close, we got to make sure that if we're going to make a pick like that, that, uh, you know, it's a definite going back and forth on a pick them. It's not just what we think or where we, you know, we won't necessarily put our money. It's if we're going to make our picks, it's for everybody else's money. And as I've said on Twitter, and as I've said, moving forward, there's too much shady shit in this, in this whole realm right now. And I don't want to play there. So I want to make sure that we're doing the best that we can. So nobody can call us out for being like, Hey, you know, the guys are dialing it in. Fuck that. We're getting to work. Yeah, you're wearing a pride shirt right now, though. So I want to touch on something because I had a big discussion with somebody in another group chat that you're not in. In pride, they used to give out tickets for stalling. And everybody who was on the Vera decision, all she did in that third round was stall. If that was a pride fight, she would have got a yellow card for that shit. So Diaz recently um, had talked about the idea of guys laying on top of guys to just sort of squeak out a decision. He talked about possibly the pride uh, bringing back the yellow card. What's your opinion on that, uh, possibly bringing that back? I think, I think uh, this is mixed martial arts. And if you're a well-rounded fighter, you stop guys from laying on top of you, you know. Uh, believe me when I tell you, if you, even if you look at a guy who's old school like Chuck Liddell, you don't think guys want to lay on Chuck Liddell? He made it so it wasn't possible. And if Chuck couldn't, then he lost the fight, which is what happened when he got mounted by Randy Couture. Couture kept taking him down. Chuck kept trying to stay up. But Chuck Liddell was one of these guys that you couldn't take him down and he'd strike with you. you know, it's about having a, a complete game. And lastly, John, and just, oh, for the record, I don't want to sit there for fucking five rounds and watch a guy land another guy either. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's a little frustrating and aggravating to watch. But it, when you're the other guy that's getting laid on, you better work on your wrestling game and learn how to wall walk and learn how to get up from, from the bottom or, or at least transition and, and get the top position, whatever it might be. You have to be well-rounded. And as it annoys me, if Rocky was trying to win that fight, even whenever she was holding on to her back, she was still throwing more punches and then all that type of stuff. And I'm confused it just, by the pushback, man. I really am. A lot of people are, are, are going back and forth on it. And I just, I don't know what it is about Vera's striking that a lot of people are, are, you know, the judges are on her side and then a lot of people are backing her. It just, I'm looking at it and I'm seeing some stuff that's sort of hitting up on the guard a little bit. Some stuff that's like, she was landing. Don't get me wrong. She does have some slick boxing, but she I was just confused. I, that's what I was saying. I was seeing like air and she was hitting up, like she throws these sort of wide hooks and she's just sort of walking blocking up on the guard rocky was just blocking up those shots i mean it was still close and when you have when you have your money on one, one end or the other i get people giving pushback that way but what was the other pick that we had we had uh alison was my was my guy yeah well that was the the ko and you i mean that was a beautiful beautiful pick for you as well too um where Zach Alasan came out in, in the post fight and went after Buckley as well too, which is <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Um, but yeah, man, he came out with fire and you called the KO. I like it. Um, but what was one of our preferred picks that we had? So we had Damon Jackson. Oh, we had under four and a half on the Sean Strickland. And really, I should have just nutted up. And I think you were with me on it was to go Sean Strickland four or five or by decision. Mm -hmm. um, it was either going to be late or it was going to be by decision. And it was almost finished a couple of times. You could see when he was landing multiple shots, um, he was pushing uh, Amivov back and Amivov wasn't liking it. And I think if he had pressed a little bit more, he may have got him out of there. Um, but that being said, I, I think, uh, you know, we sort of all but... I, when I put out my the plays at the end of the week or the plays for the podcast, um, I all but really 
said four or five by decision by Strickland, but then we went on the under four and a half, but that's all right. I'm okay with that. I think we were pretty close on that. Um, then I, you know, I throw this one out without talking to you, but I knew that you were sort of on the line with it. Alan Nascimento over one and a half combined with Javi Basharat as far as the um, parlay. I don't know if we're going to go parlay again. I just want to put a two, two tier parlay together. I figured that one would hit. Nassimeno obviously wins in the first round. Javi Bashrad obviously wins. So we get half of the parlay right, but the easier half of the parlay right, I guess. Um, so all in all, not a great showing, but we did hit the dog. We were close on one. And uh, all in all, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. I think we moved forward, and but it did make me want to dive into tape more and get rolling. So yeah, all in all, man, we went 10 and 11 picks. So even if you didn't follow the specific bets, if you yeah. listen to the podcast and you made your own decisions, although the specific picks we put out may have not hit 100%, but 10 of 11, man, is better than anybody else out there hit. I went through every single guy that did it too, and we are at the top of it. The only one we missed is Jackson, so. And I said, I would still make that bet again. I don't think it was a bad yeah, well, I mean, if those if those two fight, I mean, Jackson was starting to find his way in the second round, but it's just the power and the fact that he has been caught before. Uh, the power of Ige, sorry, the fact that he has been caught before that just sort of did it, right? So, well, we move forward, um, and we are on UFC 283, Brazil, Glover mm-hmm. Teixeira against Jamal Hill in a title situation that has sort of been flopping all over the place as to who was going to get um, that shot after um, Prohaska went out with the shoulder injury. Obviously, Teixeira should have been the first pick in the first place, but it didn't play out when they were going to actually try to set up the last fight. A draw comes out of the last uh, you know, shot for this title, and now here we are. The light heavyweight title will be contested by Jamal Hill and Glover Teixeira. So Glover Teixeira right now coming in at plus 105 at Caesars. Um, 33-8-0, Jamal Hill, minus 119, favored at Pinnacle at 11-1-0. So this fight's pretty much going to be a story of can Jamal Hill do what he can with his brown belt jiu-jitsu to keep it on the feet and land and do what he does best with those missiles that he calls fists. That being said, I mean, if it stays on the feet, Global Teixeira's got solid boxing. Um, so for that, it's still not a, a shoe in that way if he were to keep it on the feet. If it goes to the ground, though, man, this is this is a wrap. So I think when someone has, you know, an advantage on the ground that's so heavy like Teixeira does, and then on the feet, I mean, it could go either way. I know Jamal Hill has that knockout power. Um, man, I don't know. It's interesting at plus 105 for Teixeira, but I don't want to get caught in pretty much a pick'em situation again like I did last last week. I think this week uh, I'll probably stay off this one. When Gobert Teixeira, 33-8-0, plus 105 to Caesars, Jamal Hill, 11-1-0, minus 119 at Pinnacle. Yeah, man, I like um, I like Glover a lot in this spot. If you look at Jamal Hill, man, in his last fight, although he ended up getting the TKO over Santos, he did get taken down like four times in that fight against a guy that's not a heavy grappler at all. We've never even really seen attempt takedowns inside the UFC. Um, I'm sure, like everybody else, like Jamal Hill's gonna be alive in the first. But Glover's one of these guys that's shown fight IQ. He's shown at his age to be able to take a punch. Like Yuri Prohaska couldn't get him out of there. He rocked him on multiple occasions but he was still able to keep his wits and get a hold of the hips and take that fight to the ground. So now that Glover in the spot, man, obviously violence is the answer. We don't have the props on this one yet, but there is some lines out there where Glover inside the distance is plus 160. I definitely like that. I think that this fight's going to end early, whether it comes from either one of the guys, but I assume it's on the Glover side. You were saying don't get caught in some stuff. I wouldn't play this for a specific prop. Like if you're going to play Glover, I'd play inside the distance because he he's been known to ground and pound people out. 
and he's been known to go for that submission if the back's given to him. So I'd be interested to see like something like under two and a half or something along those lines. But I mean, even to un- to parlay like under four and a half, even if, as long as it's not too too juicy, um, I think it's almost a shoe in on that. So even if it was plus five or minus five hundred, I'm, I'm I'm in on it. Whatever the hell it might be, I don't know what it might be around. Um, okay, so we will move on to the next fight on the card. I think we're on the same thing. So podcast pick Glover Teixeira. Next fight on the card, we have Deepson Figueredo coming in against Brendan Moreno for the fourth time. These guys have fought to a draw um, once, and it, you know it's gone back and forth. The reality of the fact is, is um, Figueredo, I, he just actually was sort of trying to be big man, wasn't he? And that's why he sort of held out. Then they did an interim championship. Is that what that was? He did. Or was there an injury involved? I couldn't remember. Uh, I think that he was injured and he was out for a little bit. Okay, so with Figueredo, um, I mean, it, there's no mystery as to what he possesses. He possesses that power. He does have a, a, a solid ground game, and these guys have gone back and forth in the chess match. Um, he lands some of the bigger shots, and I think versus uh, Moreno, I think uh, we can try to break these guys back and forth. Moreno has the volume, and Moreno has also has a solid ground game as well, too, but he's going to have to have moments in order to beat Figueredo. The way the judges are going, if this goes to the decision, if there's bigger, bigger shots from Figueredo and uh, Moreno is sort of just landing volume, but not really quite getting off and, and, you know, having bigger moments, I think the judges go to Figueredo on this one. Um, but the reality is it, it's really going to come down to, he's going to have to set up his strikes. Like I said, from the Moreno side, he's going to have to actually have some big moments, whether it's on the ground, whether it's in scrambles, he's going to have to create those moments for the judges to remember. Cause if not, all they're going to remember is the power on Figueredo's side. Even when they don't land, judges are calling it. And I know that when you're blocking up and a, sh- and a shot comes through, it, it still lands. I, I get it. It still has value. But they're calling it damage. And if it's blocked and it's still called damage, it's because of the theatrics of the shot and the power and the past of the fighter. So we got to really look at, you know, Moreno's going to have to find moments. Um, I'm back and forth on this one. I could actually flip-flop on this one. I'm sort of leaning potentially Moreno in this one to come up with a proper strategy and a game plan um, with uh, his new coach. Right now, he is with uh, Saif down to Fortis. Um, Fortis, yeah. So I think Fortis is going to probably take what they already have in a, a champion and just quite literally mold a game plan to uh, to help him out. So he's going to be literally going down to J- Damon Jackson's camp. So, um, But yeah, I'm going to take Moreno on this side, man. I think that's going to be my pick, but I'm going to stay off it as far as uh, actual podcast play. Um, no bet on this one for me. The only thing that would make me not take Figgy in this fight is if he has a crappy weight cut. If you look at, there's of course tons of tape studying how these fights are going to play out. The first fight went to a draw. It only went to a draw because of a point deduction. And all in all, Figgy won that fight. It's just unfortunately, you know, things happen. They deducted a point, made it a draw. Second fight had a god awful weight cut and came in there and looked like a shell of himself. Ended up, uh, Moreno clipped him, ended up getting the sub. And then in the third fight, Figgy looked like a brand new version of himself and was able to kind of piece some Moreno. Moreno didn't really have an answer for any of it. So I'm pretty high on Figgy in this spot. I think he's a better grappler. I think he's a better striker. I think that Brandon Moreno is kind of like, um, like he's one of these guys that we kind of like fall in love with, like a Justin Gaethje, like where the style actually kind of represents a better version of what they actually are as a fighter when they're put up against like the technical aspects of somebody like Figueroa, where as long as his weight cut goes okay, I don't foresee him having a problem with this fight. That being said, it's a flyweight fight. It's going to be a great fight. The last four or the last three have been, but I think Figgy retains his title and we kind of put an end to this. 
And hopefully, I, not that I don't want a fifth fight, I just don't want it next. Imagine if it was a draw. I swear to God. <laughs> I don't want to break down this fight again. <laughs> Imagine if it goes to a draw. What's the line on the draw? Because the draws happened before. Imagine if the line maybe even wider. That would be awesome. Next fight in the card, we have Paul Craig, 16-5-1, and one, plus 150, dog at bet 365. Johnny Walker coming in at 19-7-0 at minus 169 at Pinnacle. And, man, I don't, I don't really want to have anything to do with this fight. I know that props will be out there for people, uh, potentially a KO um, on Johnny Walker's side or submission on uh, Paul Craig's side. But I'm not touching this one. I'm staying off it completely because we know what comes, what, what, what you know, Paul Craig brings to the table. His stand-up is getting better. He did show some wrinkles of some decent boxing in his last fight, uh, but he's waiting to catch you in a, you know, a crazy scam, uh, scramble after taking some shots. And then what happens there is he's going to grab you and, and, you know, either get you in a triangle, an armbar, whatever he can. If we have Johnny Walker, I mean, I don't know what to say about Johnny Walker. Man, he's come in and looked like a, a beast and a monster. Is this a new him now? He, he's gone up and down where he, he's he's basically looked like a shell of himself. He's He gets knocked out completely and possibly one of the worst knockouts I've ever seen by Jamal Hill. Um, just, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say about this fight. This fight's a weird one. It's really, I think, just a prop side of, of things. Um, Paul Craig, maybe be the side, but really, when the pick comes down to it, I may just go with the Scotsman just to go with it because Walker's been so up and down. But uh, what's your take on this one? Paul Craig, Johnny Walker. Yeah, so um, I'm not a huge Paul Craig believer. Most of his fights, he like literally gets his ass kicked and then ends up pulling off a submission. But at that point, you may as well just live bet it because you're going to get a better line than if you bet the money line straight, especially in this one. Uh, I think Johnny Walker is just because he's going to have no fear of the striking at all. He's just going to be able to put on a clinic. Paul Craig's takedown accuracy isn't very high. He's not very good at getting in on the hips and actually getting his opponents to the ground. And I think he's just going to struggle. Uh, Johnny Walker has all the tools to win this fight. Um, I think you're only getting a close line because of the unpredictability of how Johnny Walker actually shows up to his fights. But this fight's in Brazil. It's in his hometown or it's in his home country. And I think he's just going to be able to take him out. So I like Johnny Walker, like Johnny Walker by KO. Yeah. So, I mean, with this one, Paul Craig, like, like I'm sure you had mentioned the stand-up. Um, isn't quite there. Johnny Walker's is, but I just, I'm not, I'm not on this one. What was your official pick? Uh, Johnny Walker by KO. Okay. Johnny Walker by KO. Next fight on the card. We have Jessica Andrade, 23, nine and O coming in at minus 500 at bet nine, nine against John or against uh, Lauren Murphy, 16, five and O plus 400 at Caesars. So Andrade coming in is the huge favorite. And I, I think rightfully so. Laura Murphy, although she is a gamer, although she's gritty, although she has, you know, some some solid kickboxing and she's very well rounded in the bet. Um, Jessica Andrade is just next level, man. That arm standing arm triangle is possibly one of the best things of last year. Um, she's just a monster with her power. She's opportunistic at every point. Um, so for me, I mean, it's all Jessica Andrade all day. I'll probably actually um, try to find some kind of a prop on this or even a round prop on this one. But to make it an official podcast play, I don't know yet. We may make this one official by the end of the podcast today. If not, uh, going into the week, we may do a quick 10-minute piece to break down our official plays. But uh, Jessica and Draw, definitely the side, obviously, but minus 500. I mean, Lauren Murphy, the bet, is she being disrespected again? I don't know. I think the line could be a little bit tighter, but I'm good with Jessica and Draw as, as the winner on this one. Yeah, I don't see a world where Jessica Andrade doesn't win this fight. Lauren Murphy got that win over Misha Tate. It cost a lot of people a lot of money. 
because Misha Tate was a sizable favorite in that fight, and nobody expects her to come in there and look the way she did. That being said, that is at all of our faults for trusting an aging Misha Tate. So can't blame anybody but ourselves in that one. Um, Instagram mom Misha Tate. Yeah, that's it. You know, we just she's that one that we've grown to love, and for some reason keep putting her money on. But um, yeah, I just I see Andrade getting this fight done, man. Like it's just like where does Lauren Murphy win this fight, right? The striking, yeah, she may be able to outstrike her a little bit with volume, but she's gonna get hit once and she's gonna be stepping away. She's not gonna be able to outmuscle her. If she tries to grapple, she'll end up on her back. And then, you know, Andrade on top is a scary thing, just the same. So I think yeah, Andrade like will take one or two to to give. So it'll be Yeah, like there's no yeah. threat coming her way. So there's nothing stopping her from pushing forward. The only thing I can say, and I haven't looked at the actual reach advantage where it will stand is maybe Lauren Murphy will be able to keep her distance just because it's a bigger cage. But that's not a theory where I'd be willing to put my money on it. So Andrade probably gets it done, and I'd assume inside the distance too. But the line's only sitting at plus 115, so there's no real value there. Yeah, no value there. Then we'll just sort of stay away from it unless we see something happen. But uh, otherwise, we will move on to the next fight where I definitely see a play, and the line's still okay for me so i'm gonna probably uh touch up on this spot we have gilbert burns coming in at 25 and 0 minus 350 at bet 365 against neil magny 27 9 and 0 plus 320 what a horror or sorry i bet bet 99 so neil magny 27 9 and 0 um plus 320 at bet 99 what a horrible call out what what a horrible call out like who calls out gilbert burns who who makes the decision to call out Gilbert Burns. That's just a bad call out in almost everybody's book. And then Neil Magny, who even in his last performance, Neil Magny's a guy we back, right? Neil Magny's a guy that um, has solid wrestling, some slick jujitsu, and long striking, some good striking as well, too. But in his last fight, I, I saw a couple of things that if he brings that to the table against Gilbert Burns, he's going to get knocked out. Um, in, the, in his stand-up battle in his last fight, I, I mentioned this a couple times in the podcast. He's getting hit and he sort of rocks away from it. So he doesn't take the full brunt of the punch, but he falls away and just looks sort of like he's actually getting hit fully and not and rocking into the cage. So he's almost giving his opponent a theatrical moment. So he's giving them, you know, the judges points. If the judges don't see what's happening exactly, he's falling into the cage. He has these reactionary things that he does when he gets hit. Um, and really, I don't know if he takes a punch very well. So I think at this point, I'd normally back Neil Magny, but just watching that fight, Gilbert Burns, if he touches him up, it's going to be bad. And normally where Neil, Neil Magny's strong is where he can grapple with you on the cage and take you to the ground. Well, that's where Gilbert Burns is a monster and where he'll if, he'll be opportunistic and land big shots. So I'm all over Gilbert Burns in this one. I'll be touching up props and probably have to get on that soon before they go down. But Gilbert Burns might even be a play because I know there's going to be a lot of people fading this saying Neil Magny at plus money at this kind of plus money is only value. You've got to go for it. I just think it's a horrible matchup for him. I think he's going to get beat up. Yeah, I agree, man. Like, I don't understand why this fight was made, to be honest. Like, it's a huge step down for Gilbert out. Burns. And But even as Gilbert Burns, like, there's all risk, no reward, right? Like, if he loses to Neil Magny, he's going to send way back in the rankings. And if Neil Magny wins, he'll get absolutely slaughtered by anybody in the top five. So, um, that being said, like, I think with Gilbert Burns, I just a crazy theory there. I think he took this fight to make a statement because he has such a war with Hazmat where, you know, he clipped him on multiple occasions and really showed a different side of himself in that fight. 
where something we haven't seen too much. So I think he's going to go out there and heavily look for a finish in this one. Now, I don't know if it would come by KO or come by submission, but, you know, as you mentioned, the way Neil Magny backs up, he's back straight into the cage. Well, you know, Gilbert Burns having such a strong... Yeah, he's going to follow him the whole fight. And Gilbert Burns has a strong submission game just the same. So if he does that and leaves himself open for a takedown against the cage, he's going to be a lot bigger than Burns probably height-wise. But that double leg in the cage, well, he'll be able to drag him to the mat just the same. So I think Gilbert Burns wins this fight pretty much everywhere. And as I said, another one of these fights where I think probably ends inside of the distance too. Yeah, I mean... I, I think I'd make an early play on that. I think that might be like a prop play that we look at Gilbert Burns inside the distance. What's that sitting at currently right now? If you can find uh, it. Yeah, I think it's plus one. Yeah, plus 140. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd almost say like, let's, let's hit that now. Um, I just think he's going to win inside the distance. I just don't see, see it any other way. I'd like to get more plus money on it, but I don't think we're going to. So mm-hmm. touch it up now. Next fight of the card, we have Shogun against Ihor Pretoria. So, Mauricio Shogun Hua coming in at 27 and 13. Um, Ihor Pretoria coming in at 18, 3 and 0. Pretoria, um, the favorite at minus 202 at Pinnacle. And Shogun Hua coming in at plus 187 at bet 365. Take it away. What's your take on this one? Ihor Pretoria, Mauricio Shogun Hua in his retirement fight. Yeah, dude, to be honest, there isn't really much to say on this fight, man. I'm surprised Ihor isn't a minus 1,000. Like, I don't know where Shogun has any capabilities to even coming close to winning this fight at this stage in his career. I think he should have retired a very long time ago. And um, I think Ihor's going to clip him, and it's going to be in the first round. Like, it's just any sort of offensive capabilities, Ihor's just going to put his lights out, so... Already as it is, Shogun, like sure his percentage to, to knocking a guy out is still there, but it's dwindled and dwindled and dwindled over time. And man, um, when somebody is going to retire, what do we do? Beto. You hammer the other side. Right. So we're gonna hammer the other side, especially because they're, they're gonna give us as long as it doesn't go over to minus two fifty, um, which I think it may. Um, I think you hammered that early. That's going to be a spot, probably a podcast play. I just think Eor Pretoria is going to steamroll him, um, land shots when he needs to, even maybe take him down and smash him as well, too. I just don't see Shogun. I, I would love to see Shogun go out with the knockout victory. That would be amazing. I mean, look what I have on my chest right now, right? I- I'd love to see it. As a fan, I'd love to see it, but I'm not here as a fan. I'm here as someone who's trying to tell you to uh, pick the right pick and make some money. So I think that Eor Pretoria is definitely the side of this. Minus 202 at Pinnacle. Hammer it. We have Gregory Rodriguez coming in at a minus 250 favorite with the return being a plus 270 on Bruno Friera. Um, this fight screams violence, man. Like it's, you look at Bruno Friera and this is going to be him coming in off the contender series. All of his fights end in the first round and this dude just throws caution to the wind. So at the end of the day, man, I would take violence in the spot. My thing with Robocop is he will literally stand with his chin in the air. So I know everybody's going to be saying that he's a lock of the week. He's a lock of the week. But if he lets himself get clipped by this guy, man, he's going to sleep just the same. We saw him get hurt by Zhang Young Park. Like, so he's not susceptible to take damage. Like he's one of these guys that he is very hittable. So I would definitely watch out for this one, man. I stay and clear I mean, of it. Was, right. He's been in some big battles. So the fact that he's been durable, um, that also is a point that I have on here about his durability, but durability and time does weigh. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, when you come against a guy that 
that all you really, really have on Bruno Ferreira is that that power and that early finish. That's all we see. That's all we know. What does it look like when it goes extended? I don't know. It'll be the reason why I probably stay off of this. Um, but the violence is probably going to be the player right on that. Cause if, if it'd be a finish, it would be a later finish. Cause if you're questioning Bruno's long-term durability, um, then it, it's finished late. If you're looking at what the, a lot of people are leaning on is Rodriguez gets finished early. I mean, I, I for me, Rodriguez has shown that he can fight with some of the best guys in there. Um, he does have solid boxing, but you are right. He does get hit. Looks a little bit like a rock and sock and roll, but at times. Um, so for me, I would like to stay off it. We'll go with potentially as a fight doesn't go the distance. What is the line currently sitting at? Uh, they don't have lines out for that yet. Next fight on the card, we have Tiago Moises, 16-6-0 against uh, short notice, last-minute replacement. Melky Gel Costa, 19-5-0. Um, if we look at Tiago Moises, what he brings to the table is very, very, very high-level jiu-jitsu. His stand-up game, although it has gotten better over time, with half of his fights pretty much being fought at UFC, UFC pedigree level, he looks complacent at times in there on, uh, with his stand-up. He's looked at times where there's some holes. That's what scares me about this fight. That being said, the strength of schedule and the differential and, and the two fighters is pretty staggering as far as um, who they've fought and, and the records that they've fought. Um, not to actually shit on Costa's uh, opponents that he's, he's fought. They've all had winning records. Um, but it, it's definitely interesting. There's a, a, a definitely a, a differential in the actual strength of schedule. But that being said, the ground game does go to Moises. But if you look at Costa and you watch tape on Costa, his stand-up game is solid. His his range, his distance, um, his combinations, this boy can fight. And he lands pretty solid, uh, solid kicks from the southpaw position. The body kicks are open. Everything's there. Very dynamic. And his pressure is prevalent. But with that pressure comes a, a, an exposure for takedowns. Uh, if you look at takedowns, he's been taken down. In his last fight, he was taken out down by Junior Mello, but he was able to get right back to his feet. The floor was lava um, and get away from that jiu-jitsu black belt and able to get the victory in that fight. But he did not get away from Italo Gomes. Uh, Italo Gomes showed um, a little bit more of a seasoned vet approach to that fight. He was able to get control time on him, able to land even on the feet at, at times too. Um, that was a little bit of time ago, but I could see if you want to actually run a game plan and a map for Tiago Moises and how this fight could go, the way that Gomes did it. Um, or maybe it's Gomez, sorry. Um, the way that he did it, Italo, that's sort of the way to beat this kid. Sort of stifle him on the feet, try to get it to the ground, at least get one or two takedowns in the fight. Just be active when you're on, on top position. But don't let him get into a rhythm on the feet. If he does, he'll get volume and he'll put you out and or he's just going to piece you up for three rounds. So the kid is the real deal. I'm very interested to see where the line is at. If it's extremely wide, I will probably jump on it. But that being said, I think that the strength of schedule of Moises will probably shine through here. Um, if it does go to the decision, I think that Moises is going to be crafty enough with a little bit more of that vet savvy to be able to get the decision in this one. But this kid is, the ceiling is, it's pretty high for this kid. So um, it was fun to watch tape on him. Melchizel, uh, Costa, 19-5-0. Tiago Moises, 16-6-0. What's your take? Uh, to me, this is really going to depend on line value. I'm not a big fan of Tiago Moises. I think this fight's going to be very close, and I think that they're going to put him at a very high plus number for Costa here. I think a lot of people just don't know who he is. Um, he's a big jujitsu guy in himself. He's very, very capable of being on the ground with Moises. And in retrospect, he's going to have the far better striking. Tiago Moises isn't the type of guy that's very good at taking people down. He's very good once he has you on the ground but he struggles tremendously whenever he's left on his feet. So as long as Costa can keep this fight standing, 
or, you know, sprawl and brawl some of his takedown attempts and not just end up complacent on his back. I think Costa is very live in the spot. And if they're going to give you a good, like, plus 200 or above on it, then I would take that line all day. Sounds good. I think we're on the same page with that one. Like I said, I think the, the vet savvy could shine through of, of um, Moises, but, man, this Costa kid is the real deal. Um, next fight on the card, we have Gabriel Bonfim coming in against Munir Laziz. Munir Laziz, 11-2-0, plus 160 dog at Caesars. Gabriel Bonfim, 13-0-0, minus 175 at Bet365. Making his debut, uh, him and his brother, his brother's going to be actually um, fighting earlier or earlier on the card. Um, Bonfim, some striking, some solid striking. His striking's at the level. Um, I like his lead hand more than I like his two. His two comes up a little bit sloppy when he throws it and leaves some holes, definitely. So when he goes against a striker like Laziz, that could pose a problem. So look at that left side um, being open when he throws that. Um, he tends to sort of throw that a little bit sloppy. So that was one thing I did notice in his striking. But it's really about his jiu-jitsu, right? His jiu-jitsu, um, a lot of his finishes come via submission. Um, so he's very opportunistic with his, with his actual submission game as well, too. Some of it comes off strikes as well. So um, he's definitely a big prospect that a lot of people are looking at as well uh, as his brother. Um, if we're looking at, at it, though, Munir Laziz, his striking is is pretty solid, man. Uh, sets up his combinations well. Um, and some of his finishes, like some of his finishes on his record, is more set up in his strikes, but I mean, the reality is there is some power there. So if you look at these two, the way that they match up, I think if it goes to the ground, I think Bonfim is going to likely take his neck or take his arm. But that being said, I just don't know on the feet. I mean, we have Laziz who has a little bit more of a strength of schedule here. So Bonfim being the, I, I just, I think it's too closely lined right now. And, and Bonfim, I think this is more of a, a show me spot. What do you think? I think show me spot is the way to look at it. There's a couple of fights on the card like this. And because we are so early, I'm, I'm trying to dig here and I don't want to dig any more than I have to. I have watched tape, but I think I need to watch a little bit more on Bonfim to come up with a, a firm understanding as to wh where this line is. But I think it'll probably be a stay off for me as a debut and a show me spot. Yeah, like I can definitely agree with that. Um, I definitely like Bonfim in the spot a little bit more. Just with Laziz, he's very kind of erratic with the striking. And if he throws like wild shots and stuff like that, he's going to be susceptible to the takedown. Uh, this is one of these fights, though, that I do agree. I think it'll be close. I would be surprised if it didn't go to the judges, although both of them have finishing capabilities. I just think it's a good stylistic matchup, how they match up with each other. And I think that, um, like, whenever you put these two against each other, as you said, like, if it stays standing, it's more likely going to be Laziz. If it goes to the ground, it's going to be Bonfim. But I think he's going to struggle more to get to the ground. So I think it's going to be one of these fights where we see a lot of cage pressure, a lot of like get uh, a lot of get ups and like Lazier just trying to get back to his feet. So I think it's gonna be highly competitive, but I do lean for with uh bombing. Next fight on the card, we have Jelton Almeida 17 2 0 minus 1000 at bet 99 against Shamil Abdurimov, um, 27 or sorry, 27 and 0 plus 700 at bet 365. Um, man, I mean, plus 700, but he is like what 41 42. The striking is there. And when he gets top position, you know, Shamil's the guy. He, he, he can do it. But he's 41 or 42, whatever the hell age he is. And the reality of the fact is, is Jelton is, is the new, like, he, man, this, this is the guy. He is a fucking monster. His stand-up is good enough that 
He can land big shots, get in. If he gets a hold of you, it's, it's over. He's a vice. He gets you to the ground, and he will do whatever he wants to. And I think he does the same thing here. I, I think anything that Shamil does well is, is going to be in the stand-up game or top pressure, and he can't get the top pressure. That's just not going to happen. He'll get swept if he ever even found himself in top position. Um, Jelton Almeida is just that good. And I know that this is sort of a step up in competition by name value, but I mean, if you had Shamil of maybe 10 years ago, okay, sprawl and brawl, let's see if he can make it work. And I wouldn't be looking at this line so wide, but um, obviously I don't like anything at minus 1000 and we're not touching anything on this, this fight really. Um, but uh, Jelton Almeida is the side. If you want to touch it, minus 1000 at nine, nine, but I don't suggest it. What's your take? So just for people talking about that, there was a guy yesterday, and I just I have to give a quick laugh on this, that put $1 million on that um, yeah, Jacksonville Jaguars game or whatever for um, their opponent to win whenever they're up 27-0, only to make $11,000 and lost. That's a lot of money, man. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a million and a half if I stay, if I remember correctly. It's insane. So either way, the point is, whenever you have lines like this that are this wide, just don't touch them. There's, there's zero value. Um, regardless how this fight goes, it'll end inside the distance. Um, the under 1.5, sitting at like minus 300, still a good parlay piece because Jalton Almeida more than likely finishes this fight in the first round or very early in the second, but I'd be shocked if this goes past a round and a half. This could so. be a retirement fight. I think if he gets beat bad enough, I think he's just I think he's just fighting out his contract. I think that's pretty much all it is at this point. He took a couple years off, probably has a half-decent contract, wants to get a couple more paydays. They'll cut him loose once it's all said and done. Yeah. All right, next fight on the card we have. Bonfren, um, where we already talked about his brother, going up against Terrence McKinney. Um, The best line on this one is at DraftKings at minus 120 for Terrence McKinney. And the best line for... Uh, Bofferin is at Caesars at plus 120. Um, this is a close fight, man. But I think the wrong guy's favorite in this one. I think Terrence McKenney is just, he's like a, just a quick, either going to get you out of there or he's going to gas like hell. So if you're on the Terrence McKenney side, definitely bad violence. But I think he just gets outlasted. And I think Bofferin ends up getting this fight extended and ends up finishing him late after he blows his gas tank out. It's just hard to bet on Terrence McKenney because the fight IQ is far from being there. And generally, whenever he can lean on his wrestling, if he can't quite get you out of there with his punches, I don't think he should be able to do that in this fight. So definitely high variable fight. Definitely fight doesn't go the distance. As a pick, I'll go with the slight underdog at plus 120. But I wouldn't touch this fight from a money line perspective at all. Yeah, you're not really far off in in the way you're breaking that down. Because with Ishmael, it's like... I could see that play out where if he can actually draw it out and he be smart, stay away from the power, get McKinney to blow his load a little bit. Um, that's where he can take over. But he's got to stay away from that wrestling man. Um, Bonfim's his combinations are slick, man. His his like his lead left hand is pretty solid. His lead left hand he leads out with that that jab and then throws that lead hook. If he can actually even use that and extend that out and keep it in um, McKinney's face, that'll actually prove well for him. Um, but the takedown defense, I mean, it's decent. But if, it's all going to come down to McKenney, man. And that's why I can't touch this one either. Because Bonfim's pretty well-rounded, like his brother. Solid stand-up is a, a huge prospect. But if you look at McKinney, it's like if he gets into a wrestling situation, he's going to get into – if he can get into top position and start to land big shots, it's pretty much nights out. I mean, this is probably a live bet situation. 
I don't know if you want to look at it like that. We can make make this a, like a live bet, you know, suggested play. Yeah, um, yeah, it makes sense. And, and look at Bonfim so people can at least when they're watching this fight suggest look at Bonfim um, if he makes it at round one, and if McKenny's sucking wins, let's go all in. But you know, I, I think I think that's the way to play that one. So. Next fight in the card, we have Warley Alves against Nicholas Dalby. Alves coming in at 14-5-0. The best line can be found, um, plus 125 at Bet365. Nicholas Dalby coming in at minus 120 at Caesars. The line actually moved a little bit. I was watching on one book. It actually moved pretty heavily, um, almost 10 points. And that was on one book in Dalby's favor. I know that you were pretty heavy on Dalby um, going into it, but I watched tape, man, and there's a couple of things that scare me with this being so close to a pick em, but I, I do want you to take it away and I will follow you on this one. Um, I don't know if we're going to be on the same side of this. one. Yeah. So as you and I kind of discussed pre, uh, pre podcast, the reason why I'm high on Dalby is because I think he has the wrestling to keep it away from Alves. Alves striking is awful. Like he throws such wild punches um, with Dalby. He's got that uh, karate Taekwondo style background likes to bounce around kind of has a similar style to like a Thompson, not quite there, but he's very good at just keeping his distance. And, and you know, in his last couple of fights, he's leaned on his wrestling in this fight. I don't think he will because obviously Alves being a BJJ black belt, not necessarily a place you want to be. And I feel like that's where Alves is going to want to be. And I just think that, Dalby's just going to be able to keep this fight at bay. I think we're going to see a lot of resemblances that we saw with Soriano, where, you know, Alves is old, man, and he starts throwing those wild shots, and he's just going to gas himself out. He's had gas tank issues in the past, and I I like Dalby, man. I just think he'll be able to keep this fight on the feet, keep his distance, and, you know, as Alves tires, that submission threat definitely disappears, and so does the chances of him landing a KO. And I think that um, that'll be able to point fight him to a late TKO or a decision. Yeah, I just, I don't know if I, it's not that I'm necessarily on the other side of this. I just don't know if I see it as definitive as you. Because um, Dalby scares me because when he marches forward with the shots, his head hangs out there, man. And that sometimes he leaves himself explode. When he's running his kicks, it's fine. But as soon as he marches forward with just punches, that's where he's a problem. He hangs his head out, dips his head low. And, and you're going to leave it open for potentially a guy in Alves who, yeah, it does have sloppy striking, but does have power in his strikes. Alves does have a gas tank issue, which is a problem as well, too. And with this being so closely lined, I'm just not I'm not on it. I can't be about it. I, I think if you see something 100%, I definitely could see him actually push kicking and side kicking his way to a decision, um, landing some shots um, and just sort of point fighting him to a decision. But because of what um, Jesse Ronson did to him, and because of the power that Elvis possesses, I'm just going to sort of stay away from it as far as a side. Um, I'll probably still, you know, podcast pick will be Nicholas Dalby. But I think as far as actually, you know, going to the, the window, I think I'll stay away from this one. Okay. Next fight in the card, we have Josie and Nunez, 9-1-0, and minus 3-3-3 at Unibet. Zara Fern, um, 6-4-0, and plus 300 at Bet 9-9. Um, Zara Fair not a very good run in the UFC so far. Um, she gets KO'd by Felicia, Felicia Spencer on the ground, subbed by Megan Anderson. Um, I mean, she has some decent grappling. She has some decent hands, but I guess a surging Josiane Nunez uh, power, her boxing's there. Uh, I mean, she does leave some holes when she throws those big wide shots, but she's just a menace, and she closes that distance pretty well. Explosive power, decent ground game. Um the line's getting a little bit crazy at this point, even with, uh, you know, 
Zara with the, the losing streak that she's on, but she's also fighting for a contract. I may stay off this one. I may touch it. I don't know yet. Um, I don't think the line's going to move much more this week. I think it's probably going to stick where it is. But I, I think, obviously, I'm on the side of Josie and Nunes. I think she's going to touch her up and maybe get her out of there. But I think the line's a little bit wide for me to find value. Yeah, minus 390 on a women's MMA fight is always a little bit dicey. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, yeah, Nunes is a side. Nunes probably... It probably goes to decision, but I agree with you, man. Like, Fram, she's fighting for a job. It could be very unpredictable how this plays out. If she can land takedowns and win some minutes, then, yeah, you know, you're holding a minus 390 ticket. You're going to be freaked out a little bit on how that so goes. Is it already so, at minus 390 now? See, the lines are moving. It's Sunday. Lines yeah. move quick. So, I would just – yeah, I'm with you. I'd stay away or I'd bet the over. I think Nunez probably won't be able to land the TKO. Um, I feel like Zam will be able to at least, like – you know, stick and move, try and hold her up against the fence. She's going to get beat up, I think. But I like Nunes. I like her probably by decision. But the over 1.5 may be juice, but it's probably the best way to look at it. Next fight in the card, we have Luen Lacerda against Cody Stamen. Um, Luen coming Lu, – I don't know if I'm even saying his name right. Luen, um, 12-1-0, plus 255. Um, Cody Stamen coming in at minus 355 favorite. I think this line is too wide. Um after watching tape, you have a guy in, in the end of who basically, and I know I've said his name completely wrong, but it is what it is. Um, a guy whose submission game is top notch. And I was actually surprised his standup's not too bad at all. He can work his distance. Well, he's opportunity. Like, I don't want to keep saying opportunistic, but he, he picks his shots well and he gets, his, he finds his way in. And as soon as he grabs a hold of you, but man, he grabs, like, he's like a, a boa constrictor in there. He gets in there and uh, pretty much doesn't let go once he has you. And for me to look at Cody Stamen at minus 355, the line is just extremely, extremely too wide. Um, it is a huge step up in competition. Or not a huge step up in competition. Cody Stamen has a little bit more of a name because he's been in the UFC. Stamen coming in with some power and pop in his hand. I think the line's inflated because he knocked out uh, Eddie Wineland. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are looking at the wrestling pedigree as well, too, and thinking that, that might do something. But I, just, I don't know, man. I think um, I'm on the Luan side. I think that at plus 255, I'll take a shot. Am I going to make an official play? I don't know. But uh, I'm going to go with the, the dog bucket value play. I honestly think Luana should be a favorite in the spot. I don't understand why. I think this line is literally what it is because Cody Stamen's in the UFC. Like Cody Stamen, his best win in the last like four years has been over Brian Kelleher, who was obviously on a massive decline in his career, just the same. Um, I think Luana, he's faced great competition over in the regional scene. His striking, as you said, it's not bad. Um, it's probably not quite as Cody Stamen's level, but nope. it's enough to be competitive for sure. And Cody Stamen is awful off his back. Like he's, you know, this is what they say about wrestlers, right? Like being on your back is not something that's part of wrestling. So whenever wrestlers get put on their back, they're like a turtle, man. They got nowhere to go. If he tries to take Luana down, Luana's going to be very comfortable off his back. So I think this fight ends up in grappling exchanges, and I think Luana ends up getting uh, – uh, a sub at some point in this fight. What do you think about this play? Um, and I had mentioned this in the chat. If you aren't on the the new the new surging prospect that's coming on his debut, and you don't think he's going to get the sub, and you think that Stamen's probably going to get him out of there because the differential in, in levels of of fighting is there, then it's inside the distance, right? And then if you have you're on the Luen side of things and you think it's going to be submission and that's the game and that's the play, then let's look at the under man. Uh, the under two and a half right now is the only one I saw. And just confirm this for me, but I'm pretty sure it's sitting at plus one eighty five. Um, yeah, so the under 2.5 is sitting, yeah, sorry, yes, plus 200. 
Oh, okay. So the line's already moved. So it's sitting at plus 185. It's now sitting at plus 200. I think that's the spot in this fight. I think this fight doesn't go the distance. I don't think we have a case of two guys that sort of stalemate each other out. I think it's either going to be a submission or a potential um, upgrade of talent that leads to Luan being shipped back to LFA. It's one or the other. I don't think it's uh, going to go the distance. But you agree with that one? You want to make that a play? Sure. Oh, I, think, I just think it's value. Um, we can officially make it a play later on in the week if you want to dig into it. But next fight of the card, we have Daniel Marcos, 13-0-0, coming in at plus 153 against Simon Oliveira, minus 184, 18-4-0. Um, obviously, we have both guys are actually guys that have a Muay Thai, like a Muay Thai or kickboxing background. So we have a, a good stand-up game utilizing all of their weapons. Well, um, Oliveira though is very opportunistic with the submissions. Um, I will let you take it away and I'll follow up um, on the Daniel Marcos, Simon Oliveira. Take it away. Yeah. So um, I'm pretty high on Marcos in the spot. Another one of these lines I don't understand. I think Oliveira is super sloppy. You saw in the Tony Gravely fight, just throwing like a radical, like spinning back fist and just stupid things. Uh, Marcos's striking is on point. Very good ducking and weaving. Boxing is fantastic. And he's fairly comfortable on the ground as well. I think Oliveira needs to be on the ground in order to win this fight. And I just don't see him personally getting in there. I think that his striking style is going to be awful against the more technical, more precise boxer in Marcos. And I think Marcos sleeps him in this fight. Once again, like I don't understand the line at all. And um, yeah, I, I don't think Simon Oliveira is UFC caliber. I think he is one of these guys that will be fun to watch. But I don't think he's one of these guys that sticks around in the organization in the organization very long. Yeah, I mean, the stand-up looked um, the stand-up solid, but it's like there's still a lot of holes in there for a guy like Daniel Marcos to come in and just pinpoint, pick him apart. The thing about Daniel Marcos is his is like precision is just there. He lands where he wants, when he wants, manages his distance so well. He's got that sneaky front kick up the middle, lands that jumping knee where he elevates so fast and so quick. Um Man, this guy is good on the feet. He showed decent ways to stay off the cage, but for the most part, this is going to be played on the feet. And I think Simon Oliveira, he may actually even go for takedowns, but he can't typically keep guys on the ground. So mm -hmm. even if, and, and we don't haven't really seen Daniel Marcos too much uh, in, a, in those situations, um, he's, I think he's going to be able to get back to his feet and just mm -hmm. land the way he wants. I, I think that the striking differential is just huge between these two. Marcos, I think, is definitely going to be a guy to look out for. I think you are right as far as the line. I mean, maybe you had to pick him at best. I think that either way, it should be flip-flopped the other way. So this is definitely a play for me, too, even though it's the first fight of the night, even though it's debuting fighters. Uh, man, I'm, I'm all about this one. Um, the one thing that I, I looked at, too, and I think that you're going to see Marcos utilize, and, and he didn't get his opponent out of there last time with utilizing that leg kick, but he's so precise with, like, he pinpoints that calf. And if he takes out that lead leg, um, I'm sure that's probably a game plan to limit the takedowns from Oliveira. It's just, it's there, man. And uh, and looking at this, I just see, uh, uh, we'll take a shot. New guy. That's our dog of the week, I guess. Dog money, okay. Daniel Marcos, plus 153. And I'm all in on it. I'm with you. All right. All right, so we will go down the list of our picks so far. We may add or change it. Um, I think if we could do it, honestly, literally, it wouldn't take anything for us just to do a 10-minute quick show uh, midweek. We don't have to prep for it or anything. It's just to pick our picks officially. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I like the dog and Daniel Marcos. I think that's definitely going to be a play. And if we look at – I know that you're on Nicholas Dalby. That may be one of your picks of the week. But uh, I don't know if you want to stick to doing a prop for your picks. 
Um, but we'll look at Nick. We'll look at uh, Daniel Marcos as a dog of the week. What is the next play that you were looking at? Gilbert Burns um, would be a play, I think. Uh, Gilbert Burns will find a prop on that, but we're going to make him a play um, nonetheless. Ehor inside the distance is a play for sure. And what well, what's the line sitting at? So Ehor, I, honestly, man, I almost just like, yeah, I guess we got to sort of go inside the distance for sure. This yeah, in that so minus one twenty. So Daniel Marcos' dog Ehor inside the distance, um, minus one twenty. If you look at uh, Luan uh, Lacerda against Cody Stamen, we'll go under two and a half at plus 200. And uh, any other plays that you can think of, we don't have that. Like I said, I have it officially laid out. We can just sort of pick it apart and go from there. No, but I definitely like Figueroa, and I think the lines can start moving progressively throughout the week just the same. So, you know, after your breakdown, I think you did it to me the last time they, got, they fought as well, too. Um, I may lean Figueredo. Um, that is the, the sort of the nature of that battle, but it seems a little bit more flip flop than it actually is. And, and you always seem to remind me of Figueredo. I just maybe it's just I don't like him. That's why yeah. I fade him. He's just a douchebag. Uh, <laughs> I don't care. He would he would destroy me, yeah, too. But he does come across douchey as fuck. That's so, fair. anyways, on that note, I think we're good here. I think we we, we found some early spots. I think we're going to try to do this moving forward. I think even if we're not fully ready, and we don't need that, we can sort of dial back from trying to find this and that on something if we don't have the tape done we can say hey you know what this one we don't have a, a solid play on it will move forward till the middle of the week and we'll give you a take on it later i think that's the, the way to do it i think let's just get content out right away get as much out early as possible so we can beat some lines and then work off of that i think that'll be the way to do it moving forward early morning sundays we do a quick recap get lines out early um that will be the play. So we're taping it Sunday. It should be either out Sunday night or Monday morning. And I'm not giving a definitive time. It's going to be one of the two. I'll be able to drop it Sunday night or Monday morning. But either way, you're getting it early in the week moving forward. For Robert. Nick Eagli, I'm Callum McGregor. We like to, you know, dig into some tape. We like to break down as much tape as possible to be able to get on the right side of this and, and line our pockets while lining yours. And with our new partnership with BetStamp, BetStamp has been able to help us actually um, with really trying to elevate what we're doing here at the podcast, being able to give me more time to be able to actually dig into more tape and Nick more time to dig into more tape as well, too. Um, so we're really happy in this, with the partnership that we have with BetStamp as well, too. We'll be talking more and more about BetStamp, um, the app, and, and really the idea of line shopping and value shopping and the importance of it. Because if you look, even for some of you that want to parlay stuff, you may parlay, but then you compromise your parlay by adding that one extra guy because you didn't get the line that you wanted, right? You didn't get that that plus money that you wanted. Instead, don't add that guy. Line shop. Get a little bit closer to the line you want without having to compromise your pick. That's the play. That's the way to do it. For Nikki Gly, I'm Callum yeah. McGregor. We are here to get it done. And if you don't like it, tune into the Don't Tap podcast. I'm about to beat the at this kid. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. The Lions are the number one rankings out there. Those guys are the ones who really do their homework, you know what I mean? But this fight, I'm telling you, it's a flip of a coin. We did not tap. Let's um, go! So let's go!